Hey, I'm Zanzi and welcome to Farmer's Inside Track, episode 209. I'm your host, Dawn Umdu. Now, heat stress is an abiotic stress known as a rise in temperature beyond the threshold level for a period of time. It can cause irreversible damage to plant growth and development, which ultimately leads to lower yields for farmers. In this edition, Food from Zanzi commercial journalist Octavius Pandil chats to Wafi Kesop, an agronomist and technical support and business developer at Afrinat. He lists the various methods to protect your crops from intercropping to keeping your soil healthy. Over to you, Octavia. Thank you, Dawn. Agronomist Wafik, welcome back to Farmers Inside Track. Let's kick it off with the first question. How damaging can the heat be during the month of February and what are the results on crops? Hello, Octavia. Well, you can have a reduction of up to 25% in your yield if there is just heat wave just for the day. It's one of those things, much like hail. If it hits you once or a flood hits you once, you can lose a, you can get a substantial amount of damage really quickly. And also you get sunburn, which can occur in many of these areas on the fruit, so they need to be resistant to that. And overall, you just have a lower quality fruit. They tend to be smaller, they can be more shriveling. Diseases aren't that much of an issue when it comes to heat waves. as more just the stress of the plant panics and produces fruits that are generally smaller. It depends when the heat wave occurs, or sometimes the heat wave a bit later isn't that bad. But heat wave early on can cause substantial amount of damage, especially when starting the seedling phase. You can actually have your seedlings just die off because the soil is going to hit the point of permanent wilting point and they just sort of shrivel up dry and die. So heat waves can be a bit of an issue, but there are definitely ways in which one can reduce stress of a heat wave. How tolerant are crops to excessive heat? Well, excessive heat is unlike excessive amounts of water, which so plants have evolved during times when there wasn't always sufficient nutrients, so they're pretty sufficient nutrients and the climatic conditions are not always ideal. That being said, lots of plants have a quite a decent resistance to heat, and if you just breathe them correctly for the correct environment, they can survive in those environments. Like if you look at something like tobacco, it grows in a place like oatsburn, which is particularly dry and very hot, but because the plants have these trichomes and hairs and the like, which protect it against heat and other environmental stresses, biotic stresses and abiotic stresses, they can handle this. But it's a lot to do with genetics of the plants. Like if you go to desert areas, even in the Karua, Plain Karua, thicket areas in the Eastern Cape, you would see the areas get very hot and very dry for very long periods of time. But because of the, like we call them, we have some fit plant here and some fine horse as well. They're pretty much resistant to these forces. So plants are tolerant, but it depends on the kind of plant, depends on where you get it from. Okay, certain crops need environments that is going to be more moist, like if you look at something like lettuce or spinach, I mean, you're not going to plant in an area that's too dry, you need to have a controlled environment. But there's something like olives, for example, because it comes from Mediterranean climate where there's often a lot of dry spells, it's not uncommon to see that grow in very, very hot areas I've seen it grown before, and it's perfectly fine. So you really need to just look at the genetics of the crop and see which ones can survive in dry areas and work from there, because you, really, you can't change the environment, but you can change that which you grow in it. What are traditional methods used compared to modernized methods? for crop protection and how efficient are the methods? Well, they are pretty efficient. There are various methods in which you can protect your crop. First of all, you want to start with good genetics, you want to have a good rootstock, you want to have a healthy soil, that's the most important. You want to have a good integrated pest management program. These are all the general things that need to be in place before you even start. And of course, you need to have sufficient financing. Another method is, of course, using shade cloths, irrigating enough, catching the water during times when you have water and you know there's going to be a dry spell. If you have sufficient water and you have a healthy soil, it will feed back into the crops. This is what they've been doing for many thousands of years. They've also been doing something called intercropping, which is to grow many various different types of crops in your field. And they sort of synergistically help one another because the microbiome within the soil 
can also hold on to water, hold on to nutrients and feed to the plant when it needs it. During times of dry stress, what happens is revolution you have the loss of various microbes in the soil, fungi, bacteria, protozoa, nematodes, etc. will die off during times of heat stress and only the ones which can survive heat stress are still there so they begin to proliferate and evolve going forward. So you have a very robust soil system which can then feed back into plants. So that's one of the more ancient methods that are being used to limit heat stress. It's to work with nature. But obviously today we do mostly monoculture because of it's from a capitalist perspective it makes more sense and people are, tend to be quite financially pressed, especially new farmers, first-gen farmers, second-generation farmers, even third-generation farmers. Depending on how well the farmers have managed over the years, you could have some financial strain and that could limit what you can limit this intercropping practice. And from a management perspective, it just costs more money, it's more human resources to actually get that done. Now that can be a bit of a limiting factor, but intercropping is one of the main ones and just keeping the soil overall healthy and integrating it with intercropping. When I say intercropping, I'm talking now integration with animals as well. Livestock, so you always have a good stream of, always have a good reliable cash flow. And of course, the feces of the animals can be used as a very, very good fertilizer if composted correctly. What are your top five tips that farmers can use to prevent or mitigate heat damage on crops? So one of the ways in which you can do it, depending on the, if there's enough capital or not, is to have a really good shade crop. It doesn't have to be very thick, just maybe 20, 20 30, 40% should be sufficient. And if it's of the correct coloration, you could have a substantial amount of UV and heat being pushed away from the system, if that is possible. Um, that is a bit more expensive, so there is enough capital and you're in, a, in that area you do it. If you're not, there are other methods you could use. Another method is, of course, just making sure you have sufficient water and your water goes a longer way. So that way you can need to have your compost, you can have, you need to have mulch. Mulch is very important. Mulch and compost isn't the same thing. Some people think they are the same thing. They're absolutely not. Compost can provide nutrients to the crop. Mulch generally doesn't do that. Mulch is there to keep the soil cool, keep the environment cool, and it's very important for the microbes and just holding on to water as long as you can. In fact, certain mulches can increase the water holding capacity of the soil by about 80%. That means essentially means you can apply 80% less water. So if you have 80% less water or is a drought, you could go for much longer with these various different types of mulches and cover crops also fall within that category, but that's sort of like a, a living cover crop. That's a separate topic in and of itself. Another tip that can be used is to ensure that there is sufficient soil food where it needs to be healthy. So there needs to be sufficient microbes. You can inoculate the microbes. You can use compost teas. You can use different animal species. You can incorporate animals on your farming system. I always say if you have a decently large farming system, it's always good to have a couple of animals, some chickens, some pigs, even if you don't have much capital from it. Because what you can do is you can take the waste product and you can generate quite a lot of beneficial microbes from there that can be pumped into your system. And that's all part of the integrated pest management uh, program that one can follow, which will mitigate and push away much of the weakness that the plant will go through. So what happens is when the plant stresses, its immune system, let's say, has to fight off and deal with all the stress, making it weaker in other parts so it could be more susceptible to certain diseases, potentially. But the microbes could sort of fight off and cover, beneficial microbes could cover the ecological gap and you won't have too much of those pathogenic microbes causing the problem. So that's also one factor. Another factor are there is some evidence that there are certain biostimulants and natural products, fertilizers, our products. We have a couple of products that also at Afrinab reduce heat stress and abiotic stresses caused by the plant. The plant has the capacity to resist, much like we have the capacity to resist certain diseases, but only up until such a point. But if you can take, for example, if you could take a biostimulant, in this case for a human, it will be called a, an immune booster. I don't know how accurate that similitude is but they do work and they have been proven to be quite significant and of course soil management you got to make sure you have correct soil management 
there are ways in which you can modify the soil structure. Like if you don't farm correctly, you could have an e-layer forming or a clay layer forming, which is not, definitely not something you want, because that's not going to be favorable for root growth. You can have less rooting space. That's not going to be favorable because you can't get access to all the water. But if you manage correctly, you do your minimum till or whatever's necessary in your environment, you'll have a healthy soil and that's going to pay back quite a bit. One last thing, you need to have used the most modern tech you can possibly use. With AI right now, you can actually detect the health, general crop health based on the color that is bouncing off of the leaves. That will be very beneficial for you to find where are areas that are not being fertilized, not being irrigated correctly, and which areas are being over-irrigated. That way you can save money and apply your water and irrigation, your fertigation where it needs to be. You need to have weather stations on your farm. They are expensive, but having substantial crop loss due to an environmental stain is more expensive. So farmers will have to spend on having a good weather station on board. That and of course due diligence in getting a proper soil map or nowadays you get your SWAT maps, your soil water and topography maps. They use electrical currents, electromagnetic forces that move through the soil so you can determine various, you can determine the, the contours with something like LIDAR, you can determine where the water will flow, where it won't flow, carbon content, different parts of the soil which have a drastic effect on irrigation and irrigation planning. So that's also very important to do before you even get your irrigation installed. And if you do have irrigation installed, it's a historical farm that's been there for like 100 years. It's still worthwhile to get invested in one of those soil maps because it'll see where you have gaps in your system and perhaps you could irrigate more or less in different areas depending on what's possible for your farm, what's possible for the amount of water that you have. And finally, do you think farmers should prepare more for heat waves, especially with climate change? When it comes to heat waves, heat waves aren't a new thing that happened throughout history and people say they're happening more frequently now. I don't know whether whole tsunamis and earthquakes happening. They've always happened throughout history all the time. Is it happening more now? I don't know. I can't say that. So are there more heat waves happening? No, I just feel the weather systems are moving. So areas where there previously weren't heat waves are going to be heat waves. Areas where they were not green, like in Saudi Arabia, you're having greening of the desert right now. In Saudi Arabia, you know, it's mostly a desert. So if they're having greening, weather systems with the world are moving. Farmers should understand that there are changes going to happen and there's nothing they can do about the changes except prepare accordingly. Is the climate change doing that? I don't know. It could just be the natural cycle of, uh, of the earth. But whatever the case might be, there are more unexpected climatic circumstances that are going to occur moving forward. And so Africa isn't an exception. We've been generally safe in terms of flooding, earthquaking. From a natural disasters perspective, Africa's been pretty safe. But heat waves will definitely become more common and flooding, it will happen in different areas. And this is what needs to be prepared for accordingly. So farmers will need to obviously have good drainage. Because often when it's a very dry spell, it's a very wet spell, that causes more damage, believe you me. More loss of life, more loss of crop, and you can't really come. It's very difficult to bounce back from a flood where there's drought. There are methods you can fix it, but if your crops are saturated and waterlogged for a couple of days, that could be the end of you from your farming enterprise. Thank you, Octavia. And it's always great having you here on Farmers Inside Track, Wafik. He's an agronomist and technical support and business developer at Afrinet. And that's a wrap from me, Dor Numdu, Octavius Pandil, our producer Megan van Defend, and the rest of the Food from Zanzi team have an absolutely amazing week. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.